Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Hey guys, it's your boy BC, and I'm sure you've heard the news by now that combat sports analyst extraordinaire Luke Thomas has signed a deal with CBS Sports. That means we are taking this morning combat rocket ship straight to the moon. CBS and Showtime have joined forces to bring you the ultimate combat sports show. So settle in. You're about to hear some morning combat right now with Luke Thomas and myself, Brian Campbell, in just a few seconds. But I wanted to make sure that you guys head on over and subscribe to the actual morning combat feed. Yes, we're only going to be posting MK in this SOC feed for a few more weeks until the full conversion over to MK takes place. So to continue to hear our whole SOC crew on Morning Combat, yeah, that's right. We do plan on incorporating Rafe Bartholomew, Rashad Evans into the MK family as a whole. So why don't you head on over and subscribe and leave a five-star review on Morning Combat. Yes, that's Combat with a K as this rocket ship prepares for takeoff. Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search the rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Beats. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Revely, revely, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is Friday, October 2nd, 2020, and it is time, donks, for Morning Combat. Hi, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm one half of your hosting duo. I'm from CBS Sports, also from CBS Sports, also on the screen, just the other side of it. The conspiracy to my theory, my hat-wearing friend, two shows in a row now, it's Brian Campbell. Hi, BC. Hello, Luke. I went from a uh, homemade haircut to uh, back in the actual barber chair, maybe a little too high and tight, okay? So we'll uh, we'll hat it up a little bit here, but the uh, same old fun. Three times the charm, three live MK shows coming, Your uh, you know, all week, every week. So uh, this is the third of week one, Luke. Very excited. Fresh off the double pay-per-view. A lot to get into and to continue. Uh Maybe a little Dark Knight review today as well. So it should be a yes, good indeed. one. indeed. Let me ask you, seeing how many haircuts we've been, uh, was it born witness to, bared witness to, uh, is there anything such as a bad haircut in MMA? Really? 
you know, I mean, it's usually it's hard to tell because of the loud, the bad tats that are normally, you know, so loud yes. uh, within there. But uh, yeah. Can we right, ju- we- I was I was playing UFC two just last night and creating my fighter and can we go away from people wearing the underwear shorts? Can we just get that out of MMA? While, yeah, while board, we're here, board shorts are the way to go. Uh, we have a lot yeah. to get to on today's show. We're going to talk about some of the uh, headlines coming out of the uh, sort of uh, virtual presser from UFC two fifty four yesterday. We have a bunch of Bellator news to get to. We're reacting to their event yesterday. This news about who they've signed and then of course setting up the weekend's card. We have this home Aldana preview to get to. Obviously, UFC has a card on Fight Island that continues. And as you indicated, we have a uh, we have a Dark Knight review that we're going to do. You had not seen it, and uh, we made it homework for everybody to watch it. We got a lot of emails, um, so all of that came out pretty great, BC. Uh, as always, video, thumbs up. Hit that subscribe button, the whole nine yards. If you want merch, we're actually not wearing merch today, but you know how to get it, show.store.com. Uh, Oh, I forgot to turn my light on. I'll turn it on here in a second. And uh, last but just, not just, least. Just ring Abuela, please. Just, you know, she'll, she'll no, slip in there. You know? She's at the doctor's office. The house is, uh, the house is empty. Okay. So in any event, uh, last but not least here, if you want to try Showtime, you certainly can go to Showtime.com. You can get a 30-day free trial. You like it, you can keep it. If not, you can pound sand. And the Charlo Brothers doubleheader, I believe, BC, or at least those two fights, if you can clarify, they're airing tomorrow on Showtime, right? Yeah, Saturday evening is the replay. Uh, check out what you what you uh, saw on pay per view. Check it out again, or what you may have missed. Uh, good piece of business for two rising stars. Can't wait. Not not today, but as we roll on, can't wait to see where they go next. BC, it is worth saying before we kick off the first topic today. And I know we usually want to get to the show. I just want to make a very quick statement from last Saturday to today. So this essential week, if you define it in those seven days, it might have been one of the best stretches in MK history. In terms of the growth on the channel, the visibility for what we're doing, the breakout moments, getting to our first uh, event post-pandemic, I got to say, this has been a phenomenal week for the yeah, show. Uh, something agree? happened in that hotel room, Luke. You know what I'm saying? Something <laughs> happened, right? And whatever whatever did happen, it has sparked and, uh, and seemed to set us on fire. Maybe, Luke, maybe at its purest form, all right? You can go in the gross avenues. I won't follow you there. Maybe in its purest form. Look, we'd been, we'd been set, kept apart, right, for a long time. So uh, you and I got to get back together, re-spark the, the chemistry and creativity, and I think we're riding a, a perfect uh, wave and a, and a great time to do this as we launch. Uh, three live shows per week, bonus content. It's basically MK all day, every day. All right, so get ready. Let's do it. All right. Well, with that in mind, let's go back to you first on this one. UFC 254 is not till a few weeks from now, but they had the media day. Sort of the, it wasn't a press conference, but the media day for it yesterday. And there's a bunch of headlines coming out of it. The one that I thought was the most interesting to start with, BC, was Nurmagomedov was asked, if you beat Justin, what's next? And he's like, actually, it's a good question. I don't really know. But he said two things. One, he's not necessarily looking at retirement. And two, he doesn't know what it is, but had said that if he does get past Justin Gaethje, that Dana White, the UFC president, had promised him, quote, Something special. What do you make of that? Uh, You can go a few places with that. At its core, something special to me still means George St. Pierre and still under the idea, although Habib didn't commit to it this time around, that that maybe next April would be his swan song. Maybe this would be him sitting down on his principles and saying, no matter what, I'm not interested in Connor. If I get past Gaethje, 
you know, it's one more, whether that ends up being Tony Ferguson, Dustin Poirier, whoever ends up sort of coming around as the number one contender or something special, George St. Pierre, something Dana used to not be into. Now he might be. Although, Luke, although, right? There are a couple other things lingering in the background. Uh, Zufa Boxing was supposed to be a thing and has wanted to make a big announcement for a long time. Is it a coincidence that this past week Floyd Mayweather spoke on some podcast? I wish I knew, I wish I knew the name at the moment. Was it the Shea Shea podcast? Something like that. And sure. he made mention that um, you know he's more than willing to come back and keep fighting what he called UFC fighters uh, for $300 million a pop and mentioned a rematch with Connor and mentioned Habib Nurmagomedov. I don't want to see Floyd box Habib, but do you think that could be it? I'm going to say no based on Habib's principles and the fact that he said, you know, at this media day, I, I don't fight for money, for the money. I'm not in this for money. I got business, you know, ventures all over the globe. I'm doing fine. I'm not necessarily motivated by the money. I don't think at the end of the day, Habib would be a, a, a money clout chaser to try to put himself in a spot against Floyd, which is an absolute no win. But I do know Dana loves money, so I'm not saying I'm just gonna say here, Luke, seventy five percent of me believes this is just GSP talk. The other twenty five percent is wondering whether Dana's trying to get Zufa boxing off the ground with uh Floyd versus Habib somewhere in the Middle East. I'll say this. Whatever it ends up being, it has to be big. And I know that sounds obvious, but I, I want to say it in this way. Habib Nurmagomedov is a certified pay-per-view star, MMA star, and frankly, global sports icon might be a strong word, but I think within the Muslim world, that might actually be true. He is a, really, a transcendental figure in ways that we often don't talk about him. We talk about Connor, big star, Jorge, big star. And if you ask people, if you press them, They'll admit he's a big star, but he doesn't lead the pack with those kinds of discussions when people ask for the most common names about you know, who, who folks might know. But he belongs in that conversation. Whatever it ends up being, it has to be special. You can't at that point have defended the titles in the way or the title, excuse me, in the way that he has, had the career that he's had undefeated to this point in the marquee division and do anything less than St. Pierre or a unifying title fight uh, at 170 or something with Floyd or, you know, something crazy. I mean, we even saw in this Golden Boy uh, DAZN Canelo lawsuit that they were trying to find, uh, rather, they were trying to identify who might be a suitable opponent for him. And they Premier. even listed Jorge Premier Masvidal. Opponents. Say again? Premier opponents was the term. Premier, right? Because that's part of the suit, that they had to give him the right kind of opponent. And they even listed Jorge Masvidal and Khabib Nurmagomedov. I mean, this is the level of celebrity and acclaim and value at which he occupies. And so anything other than some kind of uh, legacy fight, some kind of him versus some hero, weight class change, champ champ, crossover, nothing else at that point would be suitable because you couldn't do the Tony Ferguson fight at that point. He's not going to have fought uh, Dustin Poirier either at all or in time. So, you, you know, that's out. Connor and him, were, remember, they were supposed to do the ultimate fighter, according to UFC President Dana White. But then Connor, I guess, messed it up, and Khabib said there's no way he's going to do that. So that's out. So the Connor rematch is on ice. What else could there possibly be other than these big names? I mean, I just don't even know what other well, direction they could even go. GSP in Moscow could be the extra special sprinkling on top of it, Luke. 
I mean, it could be the direction that it would go. Um, You're right. It does tease that it's something extra special more than we thought. But, you know, please, can we not do Floyd Habib in a boxing ring? Please, please, can we not? Yeah, how bad would that be? I think it would sell huge numbers and be absolutely terrible. I mean, they could do a debate and it would sell numbers, you know, to the right market at the right time. But, uh, yeah, how, how is there any scenario that that would be an entertaining watch? Uh, I would, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but that doesn't mean they won't do it. That doesn't mean they won't try. It doesn't mean that he won't take that kind of opportunity. So that's uh, of note. Another thing he said was, and this is going to be interesting to see how everything goes. The big storyline following Nurmagomedov is always undefeated record, blah, blah, blah. The other part BC was he kept getting asked about how he's handling training and this opportunity without his father. He seemed to get visibly annoyed. I have to tell you, I completely sympathize with him. I'm not saying that at first the question is out of bounds. It's not. It's actually a really relevant question because he wasn't just his father or an important figure in his life. He was, in fact, his coach. I've spoken to Javier Mendez on a number of occasions, BC, and every single time the guy would come out and say, when, when he's there, the camp is different, the energy's different, he's the you know daddy's home, quite literally and figuratively. Uh, at the same time, though, do you not sympathize with Nurmagomedov that he is already sick of the questions? Well, I love I love his interviews. They've really, you know, he's become a guy in the beginning who was, you know, boring if not, you know, really struggling with English, and has really evolved his presentation, presentative personality. With you know, he's still humble and polite, but he takes no BS, and I love that about him. So he was basically like, "Do you have father? How do you think you would feel?" And I love that sort of blunt nature. Yes, it's inbounds to ask that question, but I don't know if you actually listened to that uh, presser, Luke. I'd love to get two things put down on the record. One, all foreign language questions, can we please have them uh, translated, like, right away? Can we have somebody there, even if it's the fighter himself, just relaying what he said? Because, uh, you know, Habib doesn't talk publicly that often, so to lose, you know, uh, 10 minutes of that to, to questions just in Russian, I don't love. But the other thing is, hey, question askers, I know for a lot of you guys, English isn't your first language either, so you may have written down some of these questions, but we basically asked Gaethje and Habib throughout those the same four questions over and over and over and over again. So when you have that as the foundation, a template, and one of the questions is asking you what is to you a very obvious question about your dad and is this hard and your trainer, yeah, I love that he basically crapped on it and was like, enough, of course it's hard. It's real damn hard. So uh, good for Habib holding up firm on that. You know, and at the end of the day, if his stance is is official, that it's no Connor, and he didn't seem to want to talk about Connor when asked, um, you know, no Connor ever again, and he's firm with that, I, I support that. I'm completely fine. The win was one-sided and dominant. He doesn't want to let this guy who he thinks is trash ever, you know, profit again off of him. If that's the the closing stance and he's ready to walk away on that, let's you know, that's fine with me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't mind that he doesn't want to fight him other than if Connor did find a way to become the most important and relevant contender. It's just we're, we're so far from that. I mean, that's well, sort of the problem. Okay, but okay. You say we're so far from it, and I do right now we are, but – there was just the news that came out after we had talked last week about, or I'm sorry, on Wednesday. Wow. Well, last week on Wednesday about the whole idea of uh, Connor coming back and this charity MMA fight, boxing fight with Poirier. And then you see Dana White tell Robbie Barstool, Oh no, I have sent an official offer of Connor versus Poirier to the rematch. And then, you know, you saw Poirier and IG saying, I accept. And we could get even deeper in the w- weeds and say, you know, is this just more public negotiation and, and, and all that. But 
that is a number one contender's fight in a lot of ways. And if Connor went in there and knocked out Poirier a second time, he kind of would have earned his way back, correct? Um, that is debatable. That is debatable. I would, I would not be opposed to it. If you go out there and you beat this version of Dustin Poirier, the even with the time off and then the win against Cowboy 170, you know, you're not really putting together in that sense, a traditional number one contender's resume. So I understand the objections, but at the same time, Tony's not the guy at this point, right? Uh, Dustin would be closer. And some of the other names are also too far away to merit something like you beat Dustin's sort of like that guy right now, where either he's going to be the guy who gets the title shot, which seems unlikely unless something happens or you beat him and then you become that. So yes, I think at that point it would, I'm just saying, um, you know, if they had just gone straight to the ultimate fighter, you know, without even having beaten Dustin Poirier, your only win was the quick redemption against Cowboy, which was nice, but limited and also not at 155 pounds. I don't know. I think that would have been a little bit stranger. That's the only thing. I'm with you I'm on saying. that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on that. But, uh, you know, let's see. Uh, you know, gun to your head. Do you think uh, Habib's got two more? You believe in that? Yeah. You're counting, you're counting this one as one of those ones, right? 254? Correct. Yeah, I think two, maybe three at most, probably something like that. I mean, he's, he's richer than he ever probably needs to be uh, or ever wants to be. He lives a very, you know, I think, uh, I mean, it seems like he lives a very humble life. And, um, you know, this, he is getting to the stage. I remember I interviewed George St. Pierre before the Hendricks fight, and he was so on edge because he was so burnt out from being champion and the media obligations and having to do everything that comes with being a champion. I think in many ways he was resentful about it towards the end. And the interview was like super choppy as a consequence. Uh, he's getting to that territory, you know, where he's going to have to just figure this out and then do something else. Um, because it's, it's clearly weighing on him. Last year being a tremendous coach, by the way, and following in his uh, father's footsteps. And he has been, you know, a mentor to so many guys in his camp. And so many of these guys are going to be fighting in Abu Dhabi over this certain stretch right there. So that would not be a surprise for him to sort of end it early, be around for the right super fight. But, uh, you know, I think largely he's a man of his word, Luke. So if he says he's going to smash your boy, he probably will. Okay. And then there's, I mean, he also says something something like, you know, I'm going to wrestle him. If he stops my takedown once, I'm going to try twice, a hundred times. That to me is a foregone conclusion. It's like what you're going to beat Justin Gaethje standing. I, I tend to think not. But the other piece of news that came out of this about Justin Gaethje, it was kind of small, but it was, it was interesting. Did you see what Justin Gaethje had to say about Colby Covington? And for folks who may not have, remember, they took a picture about a week or two ago with the president and uh, Ali, who is Justin's manager, and Henry Cejudo was there. And then when asked about him more recently, he said he wanted to slap him. Said he was the fakest person in the world. And it made headlines. I don't know quite how to interpret all of this. What do you make of it? I didn't think too much of it. It's one fighter who just happened to be, you know, in a picture shaking hands with the president with another fighter who, look, I thought, you know, Justin gave great answers all around on saying, like, look, you know, I come from a small town. You give me a chance to meet any of our presidents in any situation. I respect that. But, you know, the Colby stuff was sort of what you'd expect. This guy was nice in person, then talked bad about me and everybody else a second later on an interview shortly after. Uh, You know, the extreme of, you know, I'd love to slap him right now, given the chance if I saw him in the street is sort of interesting. But uh, I think Justin's on the right side of history in this, Luke. I think it makes a lot of sense. I don't think anytime soon you're going to see him, you know, go out of his way to chase that and go up to welterweight. Uh, It's time for the title. It's time for this fight. I did think that this... 
you know, whatever it was, a virtual media day, uh, was a nice reminder of just how great this fight has the potential to be, Luke, and that this really does have that potential to be the most dangerous test in Habib's entire run right here. And good Lord, I can't wait. It also reminded me of we're already in this historic lightweight era. And oh, yeah, they just dropped Michael Chandler on top of us as well. Okay, maybe it was a little little honky-gunky how he got here, but... uh, this is a, a, a gluttony of riches. I don't really need to go too deep on uh, Gaethje ripping on Colby here. Just a last thing. We didn't put this on the rundown just for my own uh, interest in it. I, someone asked me the other day about like Colby's popularity. Remember how the MMA media was like convinced he was not actually that popular and no one cared about him and all of the sh- shtick he was doing was good for inside the bubble stuff? And some of those criticisms were, were fair. But more recently, it appears to be not true. He was there at the debates with President Trump. Uh, the president is calling him, and Dan Lebitard is starting off his show talking about him. Here's the thing. I can't tell if he's more visible or more popular or both. Which is it? It's both, but popular, you know, is never confused with beloved, right? It, what's Well, I don't know. Or is it? You know, when you say popular, I, I think sometimes people think, you know, loved. No, he's just, just famous. He's just famous. And he's famous for being a troll. And he's famous for getting the rub off of now being Donald Trump's uh, friend. And hopefully he didn't get the full rub and catch the, uh, catch the COVID at the same time. So uh, shout out to the <laughs> Prez there. Hopefully he, he uh, heals up from his battle with 19. But, um, uh, yeah, it, he, the, the, he has ma- taken a very large leap, but uh, is there a bigger celebrity you could link yourself with and get a ticket to the damn, you know, crappy debate and, and, and be heard on camera actually yelling greatest president of all time? He has played his cards well, Luke. Love him or hate him. So, yes, he's very well known, I would say, at this point. Not a crossover superstar, but has a certain footnote that, that uh, extends way beyond his ability as a fighter, which, oh, by the way, tends to be really elite as well. Is there last thing on this? Is there a kind of pro wrestling comparison where you're well known, um, and in this particular case, polarizing, let's say, but you're not necessarily like a big sales guy? Is there anything like that? Uh, not really. Not. Not really. I mean, you know, uh, not really. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's just like in fight the the real fight sports. There's guys who are critically acclaimed for being absolutely amazing in the ring, but you know, aren't beloved and don't don't move merch and all that stuff. But uh, look, Colby's getting by on on the gimmick, even though he's a really great fighter. Like I mentioned, he's famous for the gimmick, Luke. He's not famous for being a a number one contender for the title. All right, like it takes us now. We'll come back to home Eldana a little bit later. Hold Let's on one second. Did you hear uh, Habib, who gave plenty of great respect to Justin Gaethje's trainer, Trevor Whitman, but did you hear him call him Whit, Whit McMahon? That was fantastic. Shout out to no, Habib. No, I did there. not. I did not hear that. Yeah. I only read the articles. That's interesting. Uh, okay, so then let's go now to Bellator. Three pieces of Bellator news to get to. First, speaking of Nurmagomedov, the promotion announced just an hour ago, if that, that they had signed Usman Nurmagomedov, who is the cousin of Khabib. He will compete in their lightweight division. He is undefeated. I've watched some tape on him, BC. I know you have as well. To what extent should fans be excited by this? Uh, pretty damn excited, I would say. And, and not just because, oh, this is somebody Habib trains with or somebody who shares his last name. This is somebody, a cousin, who's very much like a brother to Habib and has been you know, sort of had an apprenticeship sitting beside Habib on this entire journey. He's, what, 24 years old? He's 11-0 and 0 with 10 stoppages. And, look, you know, you can only gauge 
the sort of regional competition as you climb the ladder up to a certain degree. But you watch tape of this guy, and he absolutely pops, Luke. It's, uh, you know, you got the gritty wrestling, which is the Nurmagomedov Dagestan trademark, but he's a much more evolved striker and exciting fighter. Very good in the Muay Thai clinch, very good kick game. When you originally, originally kind of came on the map last year as, look, this could be a guy who signs with a big promotion, there were some of uh, comparisons of he's not just Habib, he's like Habib mixed with John Jones and Anderson Silva. I mean, look, we can, you know, Israel out of sight, we can pull back on that until we see him at the elite level, but... Uh, when you know he's going to have that, it's a stereotype to say, but you know he's going to have that grit and toughness, Luke. And then when he's got, you know, an evolved, flashy style, he trains at AKA under Javier Mendez. Like you said, there's nobody better to train under for professionalism and and uh, and all of that than Habib. This is a big signing because, Luke, when we talk about Bellator competing with UFC, you know, Bellator's known how to do the freak fights for years. They know how to get the aging former UFC guy, the Chael Sonnens, whatever, and can still bring in large, large uh, viewership. And certainly they've done pretty well over the years in signing guys like Ryan Bader, Benson Henderson, Roy McDonald, who at that moment were still relatively within their prime within UFC and were big free agent choices coming across. Now, look, neither of those three guys are monster draws, and even Rory has already moved on from Bellator. But Bellator's success long-term uh, under the idea of competing or being a, you know, absolutely legitimate number two or even just an alternative number one, it's it's going to come from stuff like this. It's going to come from them signing Aaron Pico in high school, and obviously that's a story that we don't know what the ending is going to be through the ups and downs he's had, but it's going to come from being early on guys, you know, the MVPs of the world, James Gallagher, who's going to be back this weekend, uh, you know, the Pitbull brothers, who, who's basically gone wire to wire as Bellator stars, Michael Chandler, who's now moved on. But this is a strong move in that direction. This guy seems to be a plus-level athlete and fighter. And uh, looking forward to seeing how he plays out in that Bellator cage. He's, uh, I believe he's a lightweight. I know he's fought at 145 before, but this is a big move, Luke. Yeah, I mean, you have to understand the Coker strategy. It's twofold. It is sign from the top down and build from the ground up. This is more of the latter, though in some ways it kind of feels like the former, right? Because they're putting out a press release for this guy. He's got the Nurmagomedov name and... Uh, for Bellator to be associated now with that Nurmagomedov name, it, it is a uh, sort of his third-party validation. But you're right, lightweight, 11-0, one of the sort of top prospects on the international scene. Very different than Khabib, much, much more of a ready striker, light on his feet, crisp uh, uh, you know, punches, good combinations, good in the clinch. Uh, it, you know, the, the full totality of his ground game has not been tested, but... Uh, in Bellator, that'll be a great place to do that. Their lightweight division, I think, needs some reinforcement. So this is a great guy to, to get. It's a it's a no brainer for Bellator. It's the easiest call to make. He's got name value. He's got real value. Uh, they're probably going to get him, relatively speaking, anyway, for cheap versus getting him, you know, a few years down the road if they could. So every part of this makes sense, and uh, I'm curious to see what he can do in the cage. Yeah, no, another another big move for Ali there, manager of the stars. But by the way, if your last name is Nurmagomedov and your first name is Usman, you be, you better know how to wrestle, Luke. Okay, that's all I'm saying. You better you better be good on the ground. All right, L- little bit of pressure. Uh, so Bellator 247 was yesterday. This was Bellator's technically its debut on CBS Sportsnet. Um, remember, Paul Daly was supposed to headline the card against Derek Anderson. He ended up not doing that. Uh, because he had a weight cut injury. And by the way, we didn't even put this in the rundown, but it's worth mentioning. He then later took to social media BC to say uh, his next fight is his last 175 pounds. He's hanging up the gloves. I guess we'll have a 
conversation a little bit later about what his legacy might be when it comes down to it. But in the main event, Denise Kilholtz taking on Kate Jackson. She wins at just 43 seconds of the first round. Dude, this is everything. Well, I thought it might go to the ground because Kilholtz has phenomenal judo, literally international class judo. And Jackson, we knew, had a great ground game, loves pulling from half guard, working underneath, hitting reversals. But we didn't need to get there because Kilholtz, who we also mentioned on Wednesday, was the Bellator women's uh, flyweight kickboxing world champion. She went in there and uh, just demolished Kay Jackson in 43 seconds. You can see the highlights here. Look at this. Had her stumbling face first, where to the point, BC, she bounced off the canvas. Denise Kilholtz speaks English, exciting fight style, decent smile on camera. You can do something with that. Oh, you absolutely could. And look, you got a fun champion in that division, right? A flyweight. That's Alima uh, McFarlane's uh, division, if I'm correct, Luke, as I butcher her name. That yes, is correct, it is. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you want to find contenders that you'd care about. Look, th- this fight, Denise Kilo, it's kind of been put in a tough spot. This card didn't have a lot of depth. Obviously, it, it was a backbreaker to see somebody like Paul Daly, a-, a known name and exciting quantity, you know, get pulled off last minute. I wasn't sure when this was made the main event. Uh, Kielholtz was, and this is how you do it, right? 43 seconds. I'm sure she's sorry to, to Miss Jackson's mother. Uh, you know, never meant to make your daughter cry, but uh, this was an absolutely vicious performance, and uh, I want to see a lot more, and I think at the very least, Luke, we're not telling you this card was all killer, no filler. At the very least, giving us something to talk about and watch here and look on to the future, it was a plus there as Bellator is uh, reloading with the new era under CBS Sports Network. Also, it deserves to be mentioned, the card had 11 fights, only two decisions, four uh, finishes out of four fights on the main card. Did you see Monica Chachelakova do the yes. scorpion crunch on Jade Durand? Yes, uh, I'd, I'd hyped up Jade Durand coming in, making her debut at Animeweight, but uh, she got caught in the, uh, what is that, the rib breaker, Luke? That's a, I know we have footage scorpion of Scorpion crunch, Corey, can, yeah. Uh, Jay, Jay on, on a holiday here, I believe. Uh, Corey stepping in. Uh, is that uh, Ron Johnson and Jay? Uh, can I have your life savings and your innocence, please, Jay? And your band will never make it. All right. Uh, Luke, that's an interesting uh, submission there. I think I did that once with the Suzanne Summers ab roller hair and hurt myself the same way. But uh, that uh, tough loss in your pro debut for both of them. Big win there. And uh, speaking of Norbert, we weren't. But how about Norbert Noveny Jr., Luke? He had a nice highlight reel finish as well. Can we play footage of that? Uh, the son of the legend coming in here in that co-main and uh, making a little bit of noise. Thank yeah, you. Live he went over Laiz Zaruni, triangle choke, yeah. at 436 of the first round. This is good for him. Remember, he had that sort of uh, – he trains with Michael Page. He's got that sh- uh, sort of bladed stance there. That's him getting dropped. Shoots in. Let's see this. Turns it around. Uh, chasing the takedown. Gets stuffed. Still on the fence. Hops with a single. Runs the pipe, can't get it, turns to a double, switches, picks him up. Play-by-play call by Luke of the Hungarian action. I love it, Luke. Yeah, well, let's see what he does here. Then finally he gets on top. He is uh, elbow is separated from the ribs, which means he's in trouble. Yep, just like that. And he's going to use that to hop across. And it looks like at the head and, uh, no, he's a triangle choke he's going to look for. How did he get here? I would have tried to change Norbert's oil to get him off of that choke, but... uh, you know, the guy didn't think about that in the moment. Uh, oh, he's well trying to Darce with the step over here, but he can't quite get it. Wow, hey, Luke, really you're going to put, th- you're gonna put thurs- the fights on Thursday in the afternoon, we're g- and they're this fun, we're going to watch them and talk about them the next day, uh, you know, Viacom CBS affiliation or not. So well done, Bellator. Uh, let's see here. I think we have some news. 
Cody, oh, you want some breaking news? <laughs> yeah, our friend Aaron Bronstetter putting it out there on Twitter from uh, from the folks in uh, Combate in Brazil. Luke, what do you got here? Uh, I don't know if that's what we have, but... Um... Yeah, it's Cody Garbrandt. It's par- yeah. According to Combate, he has uh, pulled out of his UFC 255, uh, moving down to flyweight for that title opportunity there against Davison Figueiredo. Filling in last minute will be Alex Perez, for the title against Figueredo. Does that move you at all, Luke, given the circumstances? Someone was asking me on the live chat yesterday, like, what chances I give for Cody at 125? And my answer was, look, there's going to be a range of possibilities that are plausible, right? Uh, a plausible scenario is he goes in there and gets knocked out. Another one is he goes in there and knocks Figueredo out. Two heavy-handed people, right? But if you had to ask me, like, if you had to make a range of what is plausible, there were more negative scenarios than positive. There are many positive ones, but I thought just, you know, 100 of them, 60 of them would not go well at a bare minimum for Cody. And the other part is, you know, trying to get down to 125, you already had that kidney issue. I don't know why he's out, so let's be clear about that. The information is literally breaking. We're reacting to this live. I, I, I don't get – I don't know. I don't know what the situation is. But it's like these guys dropping down weights like this, you know, there's a reason you don't see it that much in boxing. They start small, and then they work their way up. And they'll play with it a little bit if they can, BC. But going down like that, you know, you just had a huge win at 135 pounds. I get you don't want to say no to title fights. And we've talked about it, BC. I get why they wanted to put Garbrandt in that slot to bump up some value for this fight. Because Garbrandt versus Figueredo is a lot bigger of a fight than Figueredo versus Perez. Still, it it was misbegotten effort, it seemed like, from the beginning. Perez had been scheduled to face Brandon Moreno, and uh, Perez won 11 of 12, by the way. Only the TKO loss to Joseph Benavidez, and he's fresh off of uh, sending Juicy A. Formiga to hell. So uh, you could do worse on a replacement. You you maybe could do a little bit better, but uh, it is what it is for 255, Luke. Tough break for Cody. I'm very excited, though, about the Davis and Figueredo era. We've talked about it before. I really want to see if he could put together some some uh, spectacular wins and kind of make this division his own. Luke, there are some fun names there at the moment. All right, very quickly, let's get back to Bellator here for just a second. We recapped what had happened uh, last uh, night, essentially, yesterday. There is a card this weekend. There's not a whole lot to say about it. This is uh, Bellator Milan 3. It's James Gallagher taking on Cal. I think his nickname is Pacino Eleanor. Um, he's a Brit. He's a good fighter. Where are you on the I hate, I don't hate James Gallagher polar uh, divide here? I love him. I love him. Look, he's a, did, he, did he come? Was he thrown at the screen as sort of a mini meet Connor in some ways? Trained together, uh, have that same sort of brashness? Yes. And he looked absolutely, you know, Connor esque in that big knockout he had on that Bellator MSG pay per view a couple of years back. He's got starch since then. He's also come back and looked pretty good. He's a bantamweight. He's one of those homegrown, so to speak, guys for Bellator that could be a big moving block for them, especially the success Bellator has promoting in Europe. Uh, I think whenever this guy fights, I want to be there anyway and see what's going to happen. He's starting to win me over, Luke, as he's uh, maybe lowering down a bit the brashness and dialing up a bit the experience here. I, I interacted with him on that card uh, several times that week when he fought in MSG. He's actually a really sweet person, which I don't expect the fans to understand because they did not have that experience. I'm just trying to tell them this is the one where heroes against Chinzo Machida, if memory serves. And uh, he was—he came to uh, we did a, a, a local or a, a local broadcast. He came and showed up to it. He was super friendly. He was on time. He was—he uh, found me after the fight, and we talked about his his win and. 
you know, I've really enjoyed him. You know, listen, people bag on him for doing the whole Conor McGregor thing, which I don't think is an unfair criticism because it is. It just seems so true. But when you're that young, or you're you know in your late teens, early twenties, a lot of times you know you've got this powerful male figure in your gym. In terms of this grand identity, you're still trying to find out who you are. And yeah, he gravitated to the nearest thing. I don't think it's a crime. I think over time he will figure out who he is. He had to eat some humble pie with that loss to Ricky Bandejas, but as you mentioned, he has recovered since then. Cal Eleanor is, it seems like, a decent opponent for what they're doing in, in Europe, which is Bellator's just trying to stage a presence there, which is fine. Um, I, I, it's, it's, this is more for European audiences than it is for us, BC, generally speaking. These last two cards have been. But uh, the only thing I'm looking to see is, can Gallagher, he has settled into a comfortable position. And that comfortable position is, like him or hate him, he's good for Bellator as a headlining or feature attraction for European cards. They were trying to put him on that international U.S. sort of track, and they kind of put him off of it after the loss to Bandejas, which was the smart move. He needed some more seasoning. I would like to see if he can get back there. I don't want to rush it if he's not ready. You know, uh, people complained about MVP getting, you know, a lot of cans along the way. Even that I wasn't so mad about uh, because they eventually made him try through the Grand Prix, and you sort of saw what his upper bound limit was, and okay, we have more clarification. Gallagher is still pretty young. I, I would like to see what he's really capable of. This is a fine, this is fine for this weekend, but I still have more questions about his upside. Yeah, and he's rebuilding correctly. I mean, he's had, he's had three wins since the uh, since that knockout loss of Mendejas, two of them by submission. So, uh, look, at this age, let's move him slow. But, look, you're not going to keep him as a U.K. Uh, product or U.K. draw only. He does have, uh, you know, global-level potentials for stardom there with that swagger and that uh, that ability to pop. Uh, we just don't know how, how good he really is. And if you can back that up, but... Uh, Good guy to build around for Bellator. You could have worse problems right now in those divisions where they already have some big names. One more note about this card. It's on the prelims. Um, Robin Van Roosmolen is on this card. If you guys don't know who that is, that is the former Glory lightweight champion. He's a Dutch kickboxer, very nice guy, only 31 years old, also a judo black belt and has been for a long time. Not one of these guys who is, you know, like uh, Gokan Saki just trying to his hand at you know UFC at a later stage in his career. He's still young enough. He's good enough. He's got a background in, in uh, grappling arts and submission arts. That is a very interesting debut. He, I think he has a couple of MMA fights, all which he won years ago. Yeah, he hasn't fought since 2017, um, and he won two of them very, very quickly. You know, everyone is high on, oh, Israel Adesanya and how good he is, and, and I've, been, you know, I've been eating that peyote a long time. I, I certainly uh, recognize his ability and have been singing his praises. Van Roosmalen is a beast. A total beast and captured a glory belt in a very difficult division. So that doesn't mean he's going to have the exact same success as Adesanya. All things are different. However, BC, very fair to say if you're a judo black belt and you have been for quite some time and you're a previous glory belt holder and you're only 31 years of age, might be worth paying attention to see what you can do. Absolutely. I'll be looking out for that, Luke, on Saturday. Thank you for the recommendation. Right after I watch the uh, the third uh, bat, uh, new Batman movie. What's that one called, Luke? Um, Dark Knight Returns, I think. Something that arises okay. or some shit. I don't know. Spoiler alert. Is it good? It's uh, it's good. It's good. Yeah. It's, it's functional. Good. Okay. okay. It's a little Thank more you. than functional. It's more than functional. Thank you. Um, let's get back to UFC here if we can. I know we're kind of all over the place here, but UFC has a card 
this weekend. It's the home versus Aldana card. UFC fighting at home versus Aldana or, you know, whatever the other nomenclature is. Uh, level of interest in the card, BC. Give me a rating. So, in general, it's low because the card is not strong top to bottom. And I think it's got one of those main events that people are like, eh, eh, yeah, maybe a little, eh. But you know what? Uh, writing a preview story for this fight, as I did on uh, CBS Sports this week, listening to the, the media day, you know, uh, interviews given by both fighters, this is a sneaky good fight, Luke. And it does have some pretty serious, um, you know, title implications to it. Uh yeah, it's kind of a stay busy while you're over there in, in Fight Island, so I get that there's not a lot of sex up and down it. But this is a very interesting time to be Holly Holm, to be three weeks away from turning 39, and to have us all, Luke, kind of take stock of the moment right now and say she's been the, at the top forever. She's, I mean, she never really falls too far outside of the top three ranking in either division, although that's not true about Featherweight because UFC's never had rankings for their 145 division. But you look at the hard truth of this fact, Luke, since that Rousey upset in 2015, she's 3-5. and five, And she's 0-4 in title bouts. Yet those five losses have all come against, you know, current or former champions. And you could argue maybe the five greatest female fighters of that era after she dethroned Rousey. So it's an interesting spot. I liked how she answered questions this week where straight up people said, you know, how much are you hearing those whispers and she said you know people say why are you still doing this you're gonna be you know 39 and uh you've lost you never won back that bell you know and her response i loved you never really see any swagger out of holly she's her interviews are either humble or they're boring or they're both luke and she was just like look go back over the last few years um i'm always ranked right there i'm ranked number two right now and i'm always ranked right there for a reason win or loss and i do echo what her coach mike winklejohn has said that you know nobody bounces back from losses better than Holly Holm and is able to just put that aside and reset. And I think that's why she's been able to to reset and stay so relative. But a win here, Luke, she's going to be right back once again in title contention. Now, I don't think uh, there's a need for a rematch against Amanda Nunes, who absolutely destroyed her in round one by head kick knockout, what, a year ago? But there's always that sort of outside, uh, you know, storyline going around of what if UFC asked Nunes, who just... Her and Nina just had the birth of the first daughter. Congratulations to put that title away, to make it go vacant. You can still be the featherweight champ. You can defend it at your leisure once a year if you want to. But we got a couple, a couple hungry names in this division, including Jermaine Durandamy, who's in a very good fight this weekend against Juliana Pena. You got Aspen Ladd coming back from injury. Luke, what if this fight right here, home Aldana, could be setting up as a number one contender's fight for that eventual maybe vacant title. If you think of it under those circumstances, this is a pretty big-ass fight. And I think if you look at Holmes' career, she has been an elite gatekeeper since that Rousey fight. She gives great efforts against the very best, but doesn't get over the top. If Irene Aldana is for real, she's going to beat Holmes, and she might get a title shot right away against Manda Nunes if she does, or get thrown into a vacant shot. But if she's not of that ilk, we're going to find it out on Saturday over five rounds. That's why I like this matchup, because even though Irene has won something like four or five, and that knockout she had of Ketlin Vieira earlier this year was absolutely spectacular, the kind that you don't see in women's MMA outside of the Lioness or maybe a, a, an Andrade. Uh, she has lost in the past when she's moved up. Irene's lost to Rocky Pennington twice, and we know that uh, Holly Holm has beaten her twice there. So uh, very interesting here, Luke. Yeah, I mean, what was the narrative for Holly's last fight with the, before the, the Pennington rematch? 
And the answer was, okay, Holly had never, to your point, lost to anyone who uh, had not held a title. All of the losses came from somebody who was a champion or a championship caliber fighter. So if she loses to Raquel, that would tell you she's at a new stage in her career. But she ended up and going and getting a unanimous decision win. It wasn't a pretty fight, but she got the job done. So you're like, okay, she, is not, she has not descended to a new low. But the question is, can she find a new high this late into her career? And I'm very skeptical of that. But to your point, because of her name value, because of the way the division is currently structured, she finds herself in a position where if she beats Irene Aldana, She's going to be right back there again, although the other point you raised, which is quite true, is really we're going to do it against Amanda Nunes? I mean, they're going to have to see what happens here. If Aldana wins, I suspect she'll just get the title shot outright, nothing to worry about. If Holm wins, one, now you have lost to somebody in the UFC who has not held a title before. And uh, secondly, you would have a situation where, uh, you know, is she looking at retirement at that point? Is she Is she thinking about exiting from the sport or, or, or you know what 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 uses you or, or are you at that point she's something of like a uriah faber uh a little bit in the women's divisions where you can kind of float between a couple of weight classes take big fights got a big name useful for setting up other people coming and going that sort of a thing uh if she wins i think that's where you're gonna have to say well you know what is the ufc gonna do do they make an interim title fight because amanda's on hiatus or something uh, that is where they're gonna have to figure out some title picture gerrymandering you know wba regular super welterweight title kind of situation <laughs> so i guess we'll see but the the bigger question to me is you know just how good is holly holm in terms of what she has left because to me this still feels like the, U- the ufc is like are you done yet no nope, not quite yet okay or right, are you done now Let's see. Yeah, this we can we can keep that. getting uh, we can keep getting you know main events out of you because I don't care what anybody says. Show up at a UFC fight week, Luke. You know, like the public events, Holly draws people love her. People, she'll never outlive that Ronda Rousey kick because you know it was so spectacular and people love her and who she is and her attitude and obviously you know the fun fight she's given since then, but. I don't like that performance against Rocky Pennington in the rematch just recently where she won. I think she just took advantage of the fact that Rocky was so raw, didn't seem to have a game plan, uh, talked a great game, came in and really had nothing. Holly kind of did just enough to win, Luke. So I think the real intrigue, along with the title implications we talked about, is exactly what you sort of echoed. If Holly loses this, it might be time to go away because... You know, she's always been somebody so focused at the top on being the best in, in... you know, she's she's been that close after the Rousey win, right? After losing to Tate, she's been right there. Can't get over it, but can't get under it, too. I mean, she beat Megan Anderson, you know, convincingly. She head-kicked uh, Betch Cohea to hell there. So she's, she, until she proves that she's not of that ilk, it's hard to say, even turning 39 soon, that she should do anything but keep fighting at that level. So there is importance here. I did mention Aldana fought uh, Pennington twice. Only once. It was a split decision loss. Her only loss, though, of this current stretch. And also, Luke, you pronounced her first name, not Irene. Um, did you do something like a Destinier right there? What, what just came out of your mouth? I thought you were having like a seizure or something. Yeah, it's Irene Alda- uh, Aldana, if you want to be BC. <laughs> it's uh, Irene uh, Aldana. All right, I'll show respect to Eden A here, Luke. I want to pick her because that's an eye-opening knockout that she had over Vieira. But when I'm writing my prediction story and I'm really going over the tape and really thinking about it, Luke, I don't know. You know, she lost a split decision to Chukagian. She lost a split decision to Pennington. She's got a couple nice wins here over decent names. But, Luke, when Aldenena moves up, 
It hasn't been great. It may end up being a perfect storm where home is slipping just enough, Irene is rising just enough, that we get a very competitive five-round fight, and I think that's what's going to happen here. I think Holm, though, her command of distance still is very strong, very accurate counterpuncher. And Luke, she's got a great chin. Yes, the lioness is going to send her to hell with a head kick. But, you know, Holly Holm is as durable as crap. And she's been... Go back and check out her boxing highlights, by the way. Decorated champion, she's been sent to hell, Luke, and came right back. I still think that even though I like Irene's power... That home is going to have just enough to pull this off and maybe, just maybe, find her way back into another title shot. If Nunes isn't going anywhere, Luke, then I would expect her to face Aspen Ladd when she comes back from injury. Because that was a fight UFC originally had wanted to make and, and it didn't come off. And that seems like the perfect crossroads to kind of dust off and find out if Ladd is for real coming off of that injury. And on this card, the only other fight I really care about, Luke, is in this division, GDR, Jermaine Durandamy there, against Juliana Pena. Where do you think GDR fits in this title picture, considering she actually looked really good in that Nunes loss, I thought, in the rematch? And she's favored to beat Pena. One last word, if I can, on Holm and uh, Aldana. Well, I did ask you a question, though, Luke. I just asked you a question. And I will will answer it. You've got Holm as an ever-so-slight favorite. Some places it's a pick but in general, you've got about a minus 120 for home, plus 100 for Aldana. It's very, very close. The one thing I should also add to your breakdown, I think it's right. Holm is also very strong, physically very strong. And a lot of times she was able to control Pennington by pushing her into the fence. I wonder if she can do that to Aldana. I suspect that she can. And that's a boring way to win, but it is effective. Now, you were right. Durandamy versus Pena. This is a super interesting fight. I went back and I watched the Pena fight. You know, uh, with uh, uh, Nico Montano, which was her comeback fight um, after that long layoff she had from having the kid and blah, 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 and the injury and everything else. And she looked good, but a little rusty, which is to be expected. I don't think it's any kind of crime. Um, I think it's a bad matchup for Duran to me in the following sense. On the feet, even Amanda Nunes didn't have that much for Duran to me. You want to slug it out with her. You're going to have problems. You even go back to the first Amanda Nunes Duran Demi fight at Fight for the Troops. I mean, they exchanged on the feet a little bit, and then Amanda Nunes took her down, and then that was that. Um, and then tried to do it this time, and just had a little bit more trouble with it, but it still got the job done because, hello, it's Amanda Nunes. But Pena, to me, seems like she's lost a step, which, again, is understandable given the time off and everything else. But she has these takedowns where she'll, like, Demi and Maya a little bit. Pull guard, pull half guard, sacrifice throw, the kinds of things that, like, Duran to me, it seems like her takedown defense is, okay, what is the most common kind of defense that I have to work on, right? Underhooking against the fence, turning your hips, splitting your base, that whole kind of thing. But what if somebody doesn't really do that, and then they begin to switch it up and chain wrestle? It's those second, third answers that I don't think she's going to have. But at the same time, Pena, I just... You know, she was such a – she reminded me of an early Diego Sanchez, BC, where she would take someone down, pass guard, and she's pounding on them, and they're turning the back, and she's still pounding or maybe choking them out. And you're like, wow, what a ferocious style of ground and pound. The other Now it's a little bit more measured. So I, I, I like – anytime it's on the feet, I like Duran to me. On the ground, if Pena can't put her away uh, and they spend a, any portion of the fight standing longer than 30 seconds – she might find herself in some trouble. Just ask Aspen Ladd what happens when you fight Duran to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I do love Pena's fire and always has, always have, by the way. And I thought, you know, around that 2015, 2016 period, she did really look like a, a potential, you know, sort of tough out in this division. But 
I don't know, Luke. There's been a lot of time off. There's been a lot of uneven performances since then. Uh, I still feel like this is GDR's fight to win, as the odds would tell you. Just don't tell me this, Luke. If Amanda does give up the belt, and by the way, uh, you know, this is full-on speculation for me to even say that, right? We're just going on some recent Amanda, you know, talk. And Amanda, by the way, does have a fight scheduled in December against Megan Anderson. So it's not like she's planning on taking, you know, extensive time off. Uh, are we headed toward Holly Holm and GDR in a rematch for the vacant 135 after that awful fight they had for the vacant 145 title in Brooklyn a few years ago? Is that how this ends, Luke? I don't <laughs> want to go there. I was there for that fight. That fight sucked. Um, I, that's a great question. I don't know. I, I don't even want to think about that. Fuck you, BC. Uh, right, may what, go, we may have to go uh, charter a meeting with Coker and Dana and say, sorry, Coker, we got to take Cyborg back. We got to put her back in there. We got to do the Amanda rematch, please. We, gotta, we, gotta we can't have out that. Here. Uh, yeah. just, so it's, just so it's noted, Pena fought twice in 2015, once in 2016, once in 2017, she lost to Shevchenko. Not at all in 2018. Once in 2019, that was the comeback fight against Montano. And now this will be her first fight in 2020. So a lot of inactivity during that time. Again, I'm not ready to say, oh, the best is over, but it is at least worth thinking about. Um, anything else on that card that captures your imagination? By the way, I counted it. I think it's important when we do these cards to like pay attention to it. I counted four fighters who have competed on the Contender Series, which out of 11 bouts, not that many. I know Jorgen DeCastro, the heavyweight, is getting a close-up in that co-main event there against uh, a fellow named Carlos Felipe. But you asked me, what fight do I care about the most on there? That absolute gas station hot dog, Luke. That is Carlos Condit against Court McGee. Uh, Luca, this this ain't bum fights, but uh, that's you know I'm, I'm joking. I'm not being disrespectful of them. They're two warriors there, but Luke, they're on hard times and they're gonna fight. I'm gonna be there, Luke. I'm gonna. You better believe I'm gonna be. That's me watching that slop. I'm there for it, Luke. Okay. You know what's amazing? Don't get, it, is, don't get it stuck in your beard. Don't get condit stuck in your beard while you're watching that, Luke, okay? You know what's amazing is in boxing, I feel like after guys have been in wars, there's a lot more examination of what the wars did. And I remember after the Condit and Lawler war, there was some of that in MMA, but not a whole lot. I think you can look at their resumes from that fight. And Lawler did a little bit better after that fight. I don't think Carlos has won since then. I mean, that, I mean, you want to talk about a sacrifice on the altar of athletic greatness. By the way, I thought Carlos also won that fight, but, you know, a different discussion for a different day. Those guys never recovered. That was one of those wars where, you know, listen, there are some damage you can come back from. There are some you can't come back from, but it doesn't necessarily impact you all that bad. And then there's just the accumulation of things where you're just a different person the next day. And that's what happened to them. It's like... I'm not even sure what Carlos Condit is chasing at this point. Some recognition that he can still win a fight at this level. Some idea that, like, he still wants to do it because he's having fun. I don't, I don't even know what the mission is. And for Court McGee, he's lost four of his last five. I think one, two, three, four, five, five of his last seven. Um, uh, look, yeah, Condit has six, lost... Condit is two and eight since 2012. And I know a lot of those are wow. elite losses, but God... Uh, I know this sounds harsh. Should we consider doing this fight under uh, Kimbo Dada 4000 rules? Uh, for, first one's hard to stop loses. Is that where we're going with this, Luke? I mean, really, what, what is happening here? What kind of match? Yeah. What kind of matchmaking is this? It's the kind I can't avoid, but good Lord, Luke. Yeah, give it to me, right? Inject that stuff. You should only be able to watch this fight in an alley while being injected with something, Luke, okay? 
Um, who who do you think no. wins? Uh, Condit, Condit, Condit. Yeah, come on, really? Come on, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, look, Court McGee's. Look, the difference between them. I'll be honest. If you actually want to break this down, the difference between them is in their primes, Condit would have destroyed them, and in their right. washedness, McGee has lost to way worse names than Condon has, right? Condon still only loses to guys you know well, right? That's true. That's true. He has lost to Ben... Uh, this is um, for uh, uh, McGee. He's lost to Ben Saunders, Sean Strickland, Diego Lima, and then Sean Br- uh, Brady, who are not bad fighters, but that's not the exact same thing as, you know, the Martin Campmans and whoever else, although he beat him, but, you know, uh, well, the second time. But, um, you know, yes, to your point, Carlos has fought. I mean, here's who he's been losing to since the war against uh, Robbie Lawler, A. Lawler, B. Demian Maia, C. Neil Magny, uh, then Alex Oliveira, and then Michael Chiesa. But this to me, like Chiesa to me is still very much a viable contender. Neil Magny, the same thing. Demian Maia, you know, Court McGee would represent, like th- it, it reminds me of where Cerrone just was in his last fight against Nico Price. Like Nico Price is a good fighter, but he's unranked in that division. I don't, I'm imagining Court McGee is not ranked at this point, if you lose to that guy, now you're losing to fighters who aren't even ranked. So, how about this? Um, how about this? Winner gets Cowboy in the octagon. Loser gets PJ Penn outside the the bar in the at the, at the lava shack. Yeah. Um, hey, I am interested in a couple of names on the undercard. Luma Luke Boonmi, you know the the Thai yes, uh, fighter out of uh, Tiger lost- Muay Thai. Yeah, the strawway who lost to Angela Hill. She's a fun fighter to watch. She's got mm-hmm. a lot of spinny shit. I like watching that. And uh, taking on taking on Jin Yu, taking on Jin Yu Frey, the longtime Invicta sort of uh, feature. Yeah, an Asian Super Bowl. I'm in on that. Uh, and then bantamweight Casey Kenny. The only footnote I like to say on that guy is that's the guy who grabbed the mic and said, "Let me bang." You know, I want somebody to come bang with me. He didn't do the "Let me bang, bro." You know, but it was sort of an homage to Julian Lane's uh, tough "Let me bang." All right, he bangs, Luke. He, he certainly does. Uh, all right, BC. Well, that is mostly it for our MMA topics of the day. So why don't you take over the show, good sir? I know we have some audio-visual elements to watch, and then we have a discussion to do. So, yeah, here's the deal. We don't have a video intro here. We don't have a catchy name yet. But we want to have some fun on Fridays. And one of those staples, right? We want to Look, you know what you're getting Monday, right? You're getting a review. You're getting Have You Seen This Shit? We want to have those staples on Wednesday and Friday. And I love this idea, Luke giving the fans homework on Monday's episode, which we did, and then having a nice discussion, review, rating, break it all down on Friday. Uh, the unnamed segment goes like this, Luke. You and I were hanging out, and you were like, man, have you ever seen 2008's The Dark Knight, the second of Christopher Nolan's Batman New Age trilogy there? And I'm like, nah, brah. I did see that first one when it came out a couple years before. That's pretty damn good, you know? You're like, stop the presses, go see it now. Then I got Web Scream up in my DMs being like, bro, it's the greatest movie of all time, right? Like, uh, you know, Taylor Swift's video was pretty good, but Beyonce had the greatest of all time, right? And meanwhile, by the way, Web Scream sent me like a screenshot of his, uh, he saw it in IMAX theater in Boston one time. This guy's like, he'll never forget it. It was like the day he got married. I love that man. Uh, Luke, I watched it. We are here today to rate review share break it down and talk about it but you know web screams trying to take over our lives and this show and he's got a quick wit and he picked up on something you said a little discussion we had where i was basically like luke this movie better be worth it because you jacked up the expectations can we throw to web screams video here uh of the little bit of business we had 
It's certainly better than the first Batman. Excuse me, it's better than it's better than uh, any of the other Batmans. Uh, the third of the new Christopher Nolan films with Bane is better than the first one, but not better than Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger is amazing in this movie. So, all right, I'm expecting Rocco Sofredi here. If I show up and it's Joe Benavidez, you know, below the well, belt there, then you know. I don't know how many people will be gagging on phallic objects. So maybe you're going to be a little bit disappointed in that regard. What do you believe in, huh? What do you believe in? I believe whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger. Got him. Well done. Well done, WebStream. Thank you. Thank you very much right there, Luke. Uh, you, it's not MK Day without something phallic happening, right? Uh, so, Luke, it is Friday. We want to break this thing down. Um, I watched it. I'm ready to tell you about it. Uh, do you want to have an opening statement at all about what you think of this movie, what it means to you, anything like that, Luke? I or think you, you get should right go first. All right. So here's the deal. I had monster expectations coming in, okay? It exceeded them. It is the real Luke. This is an absolutely fan friggin tastic movie. It was long as balls, but never had me checking the time or how much was left. It was suspenseful. It was dark. It was at times almost real dark, but yet kind of worked. The action was great. It was incredibly impeccably shot. And then there was Heath Ledger as the Joker, which is almost an entire an entire second chapter of this discussion. Luke, I knew about what happened. I knew this was what his last film or second to last film was recording two at the same time and filming before he died. Uh, he won the best Oscar for supporting actor posthumously. I remember hearing about him locking himself in a hotel and doing a crazy, you know, dark journal that was eventually found to prepare for this. None of that could have prepared me for how great of a performance and role this was. Uh, they just jumped the pooch right there and showed my score, Luke, but on a 10 out of 10 <laughs> scale. Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for that, guys. All right. That's great. Thanks, Jerry. Right. I only had about another half hour of analysis prepared here before we were going to build toward it. I guess we got it out there now. All right. That was actually, yeah, that was actually the length hilarious. of the reveal, Luke. Yeah, here's the big reveal. It's that long. Uh, Luke, this performance by Heath Ledger is almost... 97% about what makes this movie great. Okay, maybe not for real, but it, it that's your lasting image coming out of there. He won every scene he was in. He lived this character on a method actor level like no other, even though the reports say in between scenes he wasn't doing the Jim Carrey thing. I mean, he was actually being a regular guy, but he became this character and made it his own, and it's not an easy task when this is already an iconic character through comic books, TV shows, Jack Nicholson's performance, of course, in earlier Batmans of the 90s and late 80s. Um, this was absolutely, Luke, a masterpiece. He raised the level of everyone else with him, He's the MVP of this. He's a 10 out of 10. And you got to understand where I'm coming from here. I don't love sci-fi outside of the Star Wars because it was injected into me. I don't love comic books or comic book adaptations. I don't watch Marvel superhero movies. I don't watch that shit. Luke, this is just a near 10 out of 10 straight up blockbuster action movie in your face, gritty. 
I mentioned dark and it's and it's also got themes which I want to get into that were really interesting. It never stopped being almost perfectly realistic. And what I mean by that is some people want to watch Iron Man and you know Hulk and all that shit. I don't. You know whatever, okay? I can almost argue with you that some of the stuff we see in Star Wars could be realistic in the future one day. I like a little realism here. This was somehow with a one-man superhero that, you know, it was kind of realistic under the grounds of a comic book movie, and I loved the shit out of it. The presentation was amazing. The performances around the horn, including Harvey Dent. Shout out to, uh, what was that, Aaron Eckhart? Shout out to that performance. Obviously, Bale is incredible, and when you can get supporting actor roles like... uh, like uh, the other guys, the old guys. Then they're at, you know the the damn old guys, Luke. The old Alfred. white guy and the old black guy. Thank yeah. you. When, oh, yeah. And when the you guy, can, uh, Morgan Freeman. When you can get Morgan Freeman and the other old white guy and their legends and they deliver like that, uh, Luke. Nine point seven out of ten. I do think it's one of the most impressive action movies I have ever seen. I was on the edge of my seat. I was gripped in uh, sound editing, too, and I'm not into some of that nerd stuff, but there were some popping moments that just grab you. I kind of wish I was back in the IMAX theater there with uh, with Web Scream in 2008. Um, it's just short of absolute perfection. Not only am I glad I watched it, I can't wait to watch the third one to see where it went this weekend, Luke. For a genre that I like but don't love, uh, this was full immersion. I wrapped myself in the movie condom and exploded, Luke. All right, so you gave it a you docked at point three. What didn't you like? All right, and this is this is where we're getting very critical, and this is on my scale, right, of, of my full-on entertainment here. Um, Luke, while I love the potential realism in an over-the-top blockbuster movie that's based on almost comic book-like unrealistic characters, could I believe that there's just one man who has such technological advances and an ability to fight? And by the way, the fight scenes largely love them. Spinning elbows, there's almost MMA style there. Could I believe that one man could be this powerful that even the mafia and the cops didn't have any control over him? I'll suspend the disbelief and get in that, Luke. But I didn't love some of the tail-end action sequences where Batman could basically control a whole building of people, Luke, without being able to see them. Could just know to just turn around and fly backwards up. This is almost where I need the Force to explain that, like we have in Star Wars, which is bullshit too. But you get at least the Force would explain it. Some of that was even on the suspension of disbelief. The action was great, but almost it was too easy for Batman at the end to take out all those SWAT team members and to sort of figure that all that out. And that plays into part two of my three things I didn't like. Uh, they're just going to jack the cell phones of every single person in Gotham, New York City, and then have Morgan Freegan be able to sit in front of 50,000 screens and instantly be able to pull out the audio that they need for anyone at any time and see the cell phone camera coming out. I, you know, you know, Luke, I mean, look, it's a comic book action movie. Eh, I didn't think they needed to go to that level to pull that off. Three, I don't know if I loved or maybe even got the full message to close the movie. So this is where I'm going to toss it to you in a second to give it to me. The basic theme that they ended with was that sometimes it's better to have faith and believe than to learn the lie, right? And to find out the hard truth. I get where that's coming from. And in a deep-rooted sort of foundational you know, religion and thoughts like that, it's not necessarily something I'm buying into, but I get where they're coming from. But they played that so hard at us that I thought they almost toyed with making Batman be a little bit like a bitch at the end. Okay? Like, why are you trying to give the, all the credit 
to Two-Faced Harvey Dent at the end. Now, look, the, by the way, the construction of the Two-Faced, the reveal, incredible, his acting work, incredible. But you want so hard for everyone to believe that this guy was such a pillar of justice and they can believe in him, but he wasn't. He tried to kill Gordon's little kid, right? Spoiler alert. The guy's an a-hole, right? And all the, by the way, he stole your girl on top of that, uh, Bruce Wayne, all right? So don't sell out and, 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 and be like, I'm just going to continue to run and be a confused, you know, I'm not really sure where morality is, so I'm just going to keep running and be the dark knight now. But oh, this posthumous dirt hole Harvey Dent, we'll build him up to be the false hero and the people can be happy and maybe for a season crime will be undone. No, dude, under that city in New York City there, uh, they need you and they need you to be the hero, brother. So, um, they should be allowed to believe in you, and they should know who you are. They don't need to know where you live, but they should know who you are. F that BS. Does that get revealed in the third movie? F all that. I'm not really sure. It's very similar to Luke Skywalker in that recent Star Wars one that you hate, where he's disillusioned with the Jedi-ness, and it's just, I mean, come on with that bullshit, Luke. Batman's a badass. Act like a badass, all right? And one final thing, the Joker was a 100 out of 100, except for his ability to navigate Gotham traffic and always know where to be at every given second. All right, you know, come on. I've been in New York City, Luke, all right? I mean, come on. The guy's like, the guy's everywhere. The guy's always there, okay? Luke, all right, it's a damn movie. Um, un unwrap for me the, 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 the film's closing message from Nolan there. So, a couple of things. First of all, it's not posthumous. It's posthumous. You're like, you just say it together. Uh, Good night, Irene, all right? You can stick that up where the sun don't shine. Thank all right. you. All uh, right. Okay, I mean, I have a lot to say about this. I mean, one of the things I took away from this movie was, and I've seen it now at least a dozen times, um, but I, I did rewatch it for, for today's show, and it, it comes across to me like um, two things I took away. One, in terms of messages, in order to beat the Joker, they, they had to break the rules. Here was a I, guy. I get, that. I get that. Yeah, here was a guy who was such a mastermind, who was so criminally psychotically adept and without empathy and using humanity for his own whims and desires, but to do it so in such a clever way and to do it with unusual motivations. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about control. It was frankly the absence of it in certain ways um, that they couldn't beat him by all their ideals. They had to break their ideals and their, and their own code in order to do that. And it sort of sends a message about, um, the power that the Joker has, that even if you can find a way to beat him, you can only do it by joining him. It's kind of interesting, right? Then the other one that I took was, the, and this is something I think about in real life all the time, and I think you probably feel about it too, but I think many Americans these days think about it. This is the frailty of our institutions. You know, the whole police force was corrupt. Um, here was this guy, this, you know. And yeah, yes, it was like they, the wire. I was waiting for Omar to come in around the corner. Yeah. Look, it was the game's the game, brother. But the thing is, this one guy could, and granted, you're right. There was like, it's like, how is he everywhere setting all this shit up all the time? Okay. But the point being is he could cause and, uh, so much division and he could foment so much chaos and he could bring these revered institutions crumbling to their knees like that. And when you don't have those major, major, major societal and then personal problems, begin to emerge. And when you think about how fragile they are, and we were seeing it in real life too, we think about how fragile they are, it makes you really begin to get nervous about the state of our existence and the security of our condition and um, how it could all come undone. Those are two major themes um, that I took from it. I wonder if you make, uh, if you agree. Yeah, 
those were correct. And I think a key element in that was the whole presentation of the Joker that, hey, Batman, you're not one of them. You're a freak like me, right? You know, and then in that regard, you know, I'm not doing it for the traditional things like money. Like, look, you know, arguably the best scene was that stack of money with the with the uh, Asian Lao on top and, and the whole message that he was trying to send and the double crossing and just the badassery, which I'm sure a lot of that was improvised there of Heath Ledger. But uh, yeah, I get that. But I almost felt like Nolan's trying to hit us at the end with, you know, it's all bullshit to these people, but they got to believe in something. See, this is where you got to see the third one, because the next villain in the next movie, Bane, takes some of these concerns you have and then brings them to their logical conclusion. Now, again, he does it in a super psychotic way that you could never sign on to. But he does like I mean, here's the here's the real big thing about Bane and to a greater extent, the Joker. Some of their criticisms about who we are and the myths we tell ourselves are totally true. You, you can dismiss him as a psychotic, quite literal clown or murderer or whatever, and all those are fair. But the way in which he points to, as I previously mentioned, the frailty in society, the way in which he is able to talk about these phony myths that we uh, allow to spread in society for the desire of our own comfort, th- those were all... Those are all very real criticisms that you kind of just can't dismiss. And it makes you like, you know, the, the way in which he's able to, to make you uncomfortable about it, uh, you know, uh, is, is it's, it's un, he's unnerving. And Bane, to a lesser extent, but part of it is also unnerving for those very same reasons. Um, the one thing I think is we do have to say is let me give you some things I liked about the movie. I, I like the way it was shot for the most part. Um, it's something I've been paying attention to recently. You know, I barely know anything about it, but the, there was a lot of use of color temperature. So a lot of times you would see a lot of blue that was shot inside the bank vault, for example, when the when the when Commissioner Gordon shows up, but they've already removed all the mob money. It's all blue and cold. And then on the scene, uh, the street, when they're having that big scene where the Batman and the Joker face off, uh, it's all orange at night. You know, which is a little bit warmer and, and it was more action oriented. So that's kind of cool. I like the way they shot that. I like the cityscapes that they shot with. Um, in general, I think Christopher Nolan did a pretty good job with that. The one critique I have is the thing you mentioned with the Joker, which is um, how he was just everywhere all the time. And like some of the scenes, like the, the battle scenes, were just weird. Let me give you an example. Asian cinema is better than historically American cinema at shooting fight scenes. And I saw this guy make a point about it. Um, and what he said was, if you notice like what Jackie Chan would do, when he's having fight scenes, the camera doesn't cut. It just stays right there. So you see punches land. You see objects thrown. A lot of times what you see in American cinema is someone will throw a punch, and right before it's about to land, they'll switch to a different camera angle so you don't exactly see it. It's not nearly as fun, which is to say there's just a degree of realism brought to it. They have to really make and sell something that is much more observable to the naked eye. You know, if you're having police shootouts on the scene in the middle of Gotham, a.k.a. Manhattan, and the streets are completely empty, I get you can do more with it, which made it a bigger budget production, but it was a little bit silly. It's like, dude, you're on 34th Street. I know where you are. There's a rack of motherfuckers up there. Like, you wouldn't, this is not, you know, I'm not saying don't have Batman versus Joker. Have them with the reality that Gotham is this seedy, disgusting, overcrowded, crime-infested, police-corrupted, you know, to borrow from Superman, metropolis. You know, it's just teeming with people. Where rather than, like, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, uh, the, it's Iowa, you know, in the middle of December, midnight, where there's no one downtown or some shit. So I didn't really care for that so much. And the other thing I would say is 
Heath Ledger is almost too good. He is such a yeah. towering figure in this movie. Well, he outshines uh, when when Bale is Batman. He demonstratively outshines Batman in every form of acting or oh, action sequence. He couldn't hold a candle to him. Heath Ledger was so powerful uh, in this movie that one, you forget that it's Heath Ledger. Like he's unrecognizable, you know. And I don't mean because of the makeup. I just mean the identity is just well, the is voice. so unique. The, and the his, his ability to, to to pull those voices out for seriously, it's just insane. And then the stories he would have that would differ when he would put the, the blade in everyone's mouth and how it would change from character to character and blah, blah, blah. It just, it was so heavy. It defined every element of the plot. He was the boogeyman. He, 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 the acting performance was so strong that no character could, hold, could, could even hold a scene uh, without you thinking about him in some way. I've never seen a movie where a guy who wasn't the hero or the star of it commanded virtually every element of it. It was it was masterful yeah, but almost too powerful. Let me play on that for powerful. a second. Because look, the presentation of Nolan of modern day Batman in this grittier setup than we're used to for Batman is obviously at the foundation what made I've only seen the two of the three films but made these films so special, right? It's it's shot with the colors and it's dark and it's gritty and Batman's not, you know, toy Batman. He's this, you know, badass in in the armor and the cars and the motorcycle built into the car, all that 10 out of 10 across the board. But Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne is amazing, Luke, right? Like a like a mm, 9.8. No. Like hold on, as as Bruce Wayne, as Bruce oh. Wayne to me it's um, Great Gatsby. It's it's Paul Newman as Great Gatsby. It, it's or, or, or I'm sorry, well, let Robert me ask you. Great let Gatsby. me ask you. I'm not it's, an expert on Batman. Neither of us are experts on Batman. Did you not get the feeling that as Bruce Wayne, he was kind of like a rich shithead? Yes. So let me let me just play that up for a second. He's a good guy, but he's a good guy who constantly teases nefarious nefarious motion like right when he when he puts uh, Eckhart in the chokehold, which Web Screen presented to us, uh, you know, uh, earlier uh, months ago. <laughs> Uh, in, in like, you're like, oh my God, he's turning. No, he's actually protecting. But that guy is so interesting. I think Bale nails that performance that when he becomes Batman, Luke, this is, again, why do I have three points down on an absolutely classic movie? Three tenths of a point down. Batman himself, Bale as Batman himself, they really make him kind of like lame and weird. Yes, okay, totally, the voice is totally. the voice is dis, you know a little disarming. He's got no personality, and when he's in those scenes with the Joker, he's completely dominated and outshined. Even though their interrogation room scene is probably the best moment of the entire film, I want to see more of the Joker going head to head with Bruce Wayne. Luke, I feel like that was the real matchup in that movie that we didn't get enough of. Bale as Bruce Wayne. You know, badass. And maybe if uh, Ledger hadn't, I don't know, maybe there was more they could have done with that. Because I get where you're going on the cl what the cliffhanger should have been from movie two to three was Batman um, did a little bit of dirt to defeat Joker. So now he's not sure who he really is. Yeah, I know. I get it. He wants the world to believe in somebody. So here, believe in Dent. You know, even though he was a dirt hole, believe in him, people. It's better to believe in something and not know the truth. I, I, like, I get it. I don't love it. I get it. But I don't love when Gordon ends with, talking to his son 
we'll still chase him because we have to. He'll still yeah, run from us because, like, stop that bullshit. Gordon, you can't do your job without this guy, okay? So, Batman, suck it up, all right? We bought this country with liquor, okay? I mean, it is what it is. I don't love it, but it is what it is. There's a lot of dirt that went done for things to maintain, uh, you know, normalized and real. Deal Bruce Wayne and Batman with the dirt you did and just be a damn badass. Stop being a wuss. So that's so really here, my... So here's, uh, here's, here's two more problems with the movie. It's not that Aaron Eckhart as uh, Two-Face isn't good, and it's not that Two-Face isn't a good character, but Heath Ledger was so overpowering, you didn't need it. You could have made a movie without him, and you could put Heath Ledger with somebody else that was a little bit easier as a B character and made that work, because I would say Eckhart did not do as good of a job, and uh, that's not as... The Joker is such a big character. Um, putting them together was overkill and it didn't really work yeah Eckhart's cool way. as shit but you're yeah. right there wasn't enough room in that movie for that 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 two-faced storyline to really take full bloom and the other part is the movie was just too fucking long now to your point it wasn't so long where I was checking my watch I don't mean in that sense but like for example early on in the movie when Batman shows up when all the other like uh, vigilante donk Batmans are there and he captures them all and they're like what right do you have to do what makes you different from us he's like I'm not wearing hockey pads it's like, what was the fucking point of this uh, scene? Okay, you're setting it up where you're Gotham Zero, everyone's looking to you, and you're trying to set up Harvey Dent for it. But you didn't really need that. And also, hey, Alfred, don't burn that note. Tell the guy the truth, all right? The chick didn't want him. She thought that he, uh, he was too in love with the, with the suit, all right? The love of his life, right? The Dawson's Creek Katie Holmes, and by the way, maybe it could have been Katie Holmes in the sequel. She was in the first one. He didn't love her. She didn't love him, Luke. She loved him. She didn't love his dedication. Um, you blew it, bro. I'd rather him know that, okay? There's a lot of like, oh, well, don't tell the person the truth. How about we live with the truth, okay? Batman BC spinoff, we li- it's called The Truth. We live with it, okay? By the way, yeah. shout out to Eckhart. I thought he was a key member of this movie. Bale was solid as Bruce Wayne. Ledger, a thousand out of a thousand in there. Anyone else that you, you want to shout out? Because I loved Eric Roberts as the mafia boss. Yeah. I thought he was fantastic. Perhaps, perhaps the uh, most unrealistic was that Maggie Gyllenhaal had not one but two men after her. I was like, wow, someone that unattractive? That seems terribly oh, unrealistic. How dare you? She's got <laughs> ne- girl next door secretary looks. How dare you? Yeah, not my type. Uh, she was a fine character, but, you know, a little bit, uh, you know. Again, they were do, trying to do too much with her and the Joker and Harvey Dent. Michael Caine was great. Heath Ledger was great. Christian Bale was great. Gary Oldman as James Gordon, serviceable, I thought. Fine. He's a yeah, good actor. Yeah, he lived up to, to the comic book in, in early movie presentation of what you expect that character to be. He was fine, yeah. But So let me give my rating and then I'll – I'm going to say my rating is probably a little bit low. I probably could have given it a slightly higher rating. Um, it's still high enough. To me, this movie is the Heath Ledger show, and it's the Joker show. And I did not like a lot of the battle scenes because of how what it took to make them. Yes, it took big budget and big imagination and an amazing filmmaker. But I, I, I would have rather seen what can you do with a city that is teeming and infested and gross rather than empty and sterile. I, I didn't like that at all. Uh, Two-Face, amazing character, needed his own movie or another movie with somebody else. Uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal is Barnacle in this movie. Sorry, she is. But uh, Heath Ledger, one of the most remarkable performances I've ever seen. So, BC, don't kill me on this score. It's a little bit low. Let's put up my number here and see what you think. It's low. I should have gone a little bit higher. 
8.5. What the hell's wrong? Look, you don't like anything. I thought you were going to go 10.0, so I was feeling bad here that I'm like, no. I, you know, I enjoyed I, myself I would bump watching it. that. I would bump I it to about 8.8. Eight. Eight. I enjoyed myself way more than I expected. It, it feels like a classic. feels Le- like something Leslie. I want to show my kids tomorrow. I, it was almost perfect. It was near perfect. Okay, <sighs> See, really here's was. the problem. You didn't find the plot to be convoluted. It's a little convoluted. Yeah, I, but I, I was, I'm suspending certain levels of disbelief for the whole idea that it's basically a comic book come to life. So I'm trying yeah. to... Uh, I over I I give them extra credit for Ledger. I give them extra credit for the presentation and the cool factor, and sort of take away from what you're talking about and some of those issues we had. It, like, look, I even like the double boat scene with the you know we could kill people, but we won't because humanity is you know they want good. Luke, I'm all in on that. Okay, I'm in a eight point five. Your ass, Luke. Okay. Yeah, I'd probably bump it to about an eight eight. I think I'd probably uh, bump it a little bit higher. But the, the issue for me is some of the ways in which it was shot were beautiful, but. Ter- I mean, just unre- unrealistic to the point of weird uh, and a missed opportunity. It's like they constantly sell Gotham as overrun and troubled and, you know, fucking grimy. And then they shoot all these scenes where there's no reflection of that whatsoever. I, I didn't care for that. Uh, Wasn't there more so- of that in the first one? In the first one, there was more of that presentation. Yeah, and the, the third one, there's a lot of that as well. They get, they get into it. But it's just like it should be a thing that if that's what Gotham is, then you need to tell it that way. The last thing I'd say is... To me, it's like Heath Ledger was the Joker, but what if Heath Ledger had been tasked with being Two-Face? Would it have been as big? Is, is two, this is what I meant earlier when I said the Joker's a huge character, BC, because Two-Face is an interesting character, and I think Aaron Eckhart deserved more. But the last thing I'll say on this is the Joker, to me, is maybe the most interesting villain in all of comic books. Now, I can't defend that. I'm not an expert on these kinds of things. But it just seems to me when you have Jack Nicholson who can play him in a certain way, and I thought he did a great job, and we haven't even gotten into the Joaquin Phoenix version, and now you have this one. You have these incredible actors across generations bringing this guy to life, all reimagining him a slightly different way. True for Batman as well, but it's all a little bit more one note. The Joker is such a complex and interesting and difficult character to manage, which is why our very best actors bring him to life in new ways. It really says something about the conception of him and what that allows you to do in the hands of gifted actors. And there may not be a direct connection between Ledger's death and playing that role, but I don't see how you could be that great at that role and not uh, and not go crazy while filming that, Luke. I mean, that's just it's just tremendous. That's a tremendous presentation of that. You got to live that to be that, Luke. Okay? Yeah, pretty amazing. All right, so what do we say, BC? We have an email account here on the show now. Morning Combat at gmail.com morning combat at gmail.com what should we take a look at next and bc give the folks a sense of like all the different well, things do- we'd be willing to take a look at look we're, t- we're we're just trying to recognize art here all right we want to give it the the mk stamp of approval okay whether it's a movie song an album tv show something all right it, 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 what is art right are we art is art art that's what we want to answer here luke so every monday we are going life. to present the homework assignment. Uh, people can hit us up at what? Morningcombat at gmail.com. Luke, don't we have a couple uh, essays from the fans on this? Do you want to you get yeah, into Yeah, a that? little bit. A little bit. I don't have them quite in front of me because let me pull them up here for just a second because they sent a bunch to me personally. Uh, and we also want to hear their we want to hear their score, Luke. What are we going to do? Put, put this out on Twitter? We want to hear their yeah, score. Yeah, I'd love right? to hear the scores. I'd love to hear the scores. I didn't get any of those. Uh, let's see. Um, 
a lot of positive reviews. Clock's in at 2.32, but it could have gone much longer. Jesus, God, I would have rather died. Um, but the big one that was kind of interesting was this, this one guy, Adam, writes, All in all, Dark Knight is the best Batman live-action movie. Excuse me, got that Rona. Because of Heath Ledger's Joker, without him, whether it be a replacement actor or another villain, I think this movie would be on par with the other two Nolan Batman movies. Oh, yeah. Um, he says it's on par with, in terms of like how well the person took the role, it, with Jack Nicholson and A Few Good Men, Christian Bale in The Fighter, Arlie Ermey in Full Metal Jacket, and then Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, I, I, in fact, that that's a that's a fun discussion there of of you know who in history has ever nailed one role better than uh, Heath Ledger there as Joker. It's a short that's a list. Good, really that's is. a great question. Or like when you think of a movie, if I said I'm going to think of a movie, tell me what comes to mind first. You know, if I said The Dark Knight, whatever this one is, is Returns or Rises or whatever, people are going to say Heath Ledger or the Joker. There's, they're not going to say they're not going to say Harvey Dent. They're not going to say Maggie Gyllenhaal. They're going to say that. There's just no denying it. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, all right. Well, that's your show for today, bud. How are you feeling about it? Uh, yeah, look, we're, we're going we're gonna to try different things, right? Like, like a blind man at an orgy. We're going we're gonna to feel around and see what works, <laughs> see what doesn't, Luke. Um, uh, I've never heard that. I've literally never heard that. Uh, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna do it. All right. And, uh, and we want to hear from the people. Okay. So we'll have homework assignment again on Monday and, you know, hopefully we can get a leaderboard put together of, uh, uh, of MK art that we love and enjoy. Thank you for all your always submissions. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know where I'd be on. Have you seen this shit without this, uh, this dark swan guy or dirty swan, whatever the hell the guy's name. I should probably get his name right. This guy's all over my DMS. Thank you to the folks and the people. Uh, we're coming at you. And look, sometimes we do this show and breaking news happens. Luke, I don't know if you just saw uh, Ariel of ESPN reported that uh, Rustam Kabilov just signed from UFC to Bellator mm. coming in on, on, a, on a seven and one streak in his last eight fights. You like that, bro? Not that much. I think he's uh, not that. I think he's good. I don't think he's quite as good as people reputationally make him out to be. Okay. So he's just, okay. Okay. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you know, thank you to our people, our crew, Show, Show Malka, uh, CBS Sports, all those great folks here, Luke. Uh, yeah. We got some fights this weekend. Enjoy the uh, James Gallagher's return UFC. Uh, there's a little bit of box, by the way. Check out uh, top-ranking ESPN giving us Ivan Baranchik against Jose Zapata at 140 pounds. That should be a nice little piece of business. Winner probably getting a title shot. Love that as well. Uh, Luke, you, gonna, you got any weekend plans here? Um, taking my kid to some stuff over the weekend, which is uh, fun. We should mention one note on the Showtime end of things sounds, for boxing. Sounds fun, Luke. Sounds really fun. Yeah, right? well, I mean... That was the know, most generic pr presentation of, uh, of family weekend plans, so that's great. I just don't want to tell you what my plans are. Um, very quickly, Gervonta Davis is supposed to fight Leo Santa Cruz on October 24th. Uh, it yes. has been moved. October 31st, it's going to be at, what, the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas? Is that right, BC? Yeah, on Halloween night, and it's going to be in front of fans. And, you know, not not a full – I'm not going to win my bet. Not a full arena, but uh, this looks like with the direction we're going here. PBC also looks like they're doing Danny Garcia, Errol Spence potentially in November in front of fans in Texas as well. So inside the Alamo Dome, there'll be a certain number in there. I mean, look, it's working for the NFL at the moment, Luke. I think even more importantly, moving it past a week, even though it wasn't going to go head-to-head -head with Habib 
uh, in Justin Gaethje at UFC 254, which was which is going to take place in the afternoon. I mean, look, it is hard to get people to buy two pay-per-views on the same day. Uh, I think this was a good move, and it'll give them a little bit more time to figure out how to get people in the building, and that's going to be fun because that's going to be a great fight. And if you're doing that in Texas, the Mexican-American fans are the heartbeat of the sport. You know Leo's going to have some big-time fans. You know Gervonta draws a celebrity crowd. This is going to be a, a, a fun piece of business. Two title belts in two different divisions on the line here in the same fight. Very unique offering. Could be a lot of fun. All right. Well, that is uh, that wraps up the first, I don't know, I'm going to call it full-time week in MK history. And what a week it was, man. We had a great time last weekend, all week long. All you guys have responded to the content. We're, we're, look, we are still very much you know, figuring out what we're going to keep, what we're going to bring back. We're going to put some imaging around everything. We're going to really, you know, the, all the bells and whistles you see on Monday We'll bring those over to Wednesday and Friday, but we want to take things slow. So we appreciate everyone uh, who has been along for the ride. And- I mean, look, you want to see a pose down every Friday with baby oil? You know, I'll get in shape for it. Whatever you, whatever you want out of me. I don't believe that, nor do I think that is requested. But I will say this. Enjoy the fights this weekend. BC, you have fun. I will talk to you again on Monday. So for everyone at Mulca at Showtime, that's Brian Campbell. I'm Luke Thomas. We're from CBS Sports. And until next time, may all of your gains be loyal. Are you in? This is our time. The world's changed. And you are right in the center of it. I don't know what's ahead. But all bets are off. CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You speak. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.